Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning's sample, it would be a Twinkie... 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <laughs> That's a big clue. One of the problems, not specifically on this issue, just in general, that, uh, that um, uh, let's put it this way, money trumps um, peace sometimes. <laughs> in other words, commercial interests are very powerful interests throughout the world. And part of the issue in convincing people to put sanctions on a specific country is to convince them that it's in the world's interest that they forego their own financial interests. It's time for the most entertaining, informational, and educational show on Talk Radio 49. It's Behind the Curtain with your host, Brad Hicks and Lisa O'Brien. facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever time may find you tonight. And if you're listening, again, if you can't catch us live, this will be podcasted. So, without any further ado, this is Behind the Curtain special episode tonight. An episode that uh, anyone living in Arkansas and even... After the results of 1992 on a national scale will be affected. We are going to talk about the night of August 23rd, 1987, where Linda Ives' son, Kevin Ives, and Kevin's friend, Don Henry, were murdered in Alexander, Arkansas. Their bodies were placed on a railroad track, later to be run over by a train. Now, for more than 30 years, Miss Ives has been relentless in fighting to find out what happened to those two boys. She has encountered corrupt law enforcement, politicians of both political parties, and the good old boy system as we've come to know it. She has never given up on her efforts to get justice for these two boys, including her son. An individual, though, has come forward who alleges that he was on the scene when Kevin Ives and Don Henry were murdered. This individual has met with Linda and Larry Ives and their investigator, 
Keith Rounceval. He gave a full statement detailing the events of August 23rd, 1987, and then uh, Keith Rounceval and Linda Ives believe this individual to be 100% legitimate. Now, we tried to effort Mr. Billy Jack Haynes, the individual, to, to, to come on, a, a former professional wrestler for then the WWF in, in the 1980s. Uh, we're not sure if he's going to be able to make it or not. We hope that everything is okay with him, given the circumstances of everyone involved in testifying in this particular case. But we do have Miss Linda Ives, the mother of Kevin Ives, probably one of the greatest women that I can that I know of I mean honestly uh, I would imagine that my mother would do the same for me but the the level of respect that I have that she is still fighting for justice for her son and everyone involved in this case is so touching to me and may God bless her and maybe we can bring justice to this case at some point by putting ears and eyes on this subject also the attorney Keith Rounceval joining us tonight maybe he can speak a little bit on behalf of Billy Jack Haynes he has met with him in an undisclosed location. I won't put it out there because I don't even know. And, and talked to him and gotten uh, statements and whatnot. So we're going to do that. But we're going to real quickly, we're going to play a GoFundMe account. Very important, ladies and gentlemen, to, to give this a check. Go donate whatever you can to help uh, further along this investigation. 30-plus years now we're going on. Justice has not been served. So we're going to go ahead and play this real quick. From the mouth of Billy Jack Haynes, and then when we come back, we're going to go to the beautiful city of New Orleans and bring Lisa on. So, Michael, if you'll play that real quick. I'm Billy Jack Haynes, former World Wrestling Federation wrestler. Today I come with no mask. I come with no hidden voice. I come to you straight face-to-face because this is reality, man. Don't hide nothing. Thirty years ago, I witnessed the murder of two teenagers on a railroad tracks, August 23rd, Alexander, Arkansas. Twenty-seven years of that, I was a drug addict on pain pill medication. I become clean. It kept bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And finally, when Seth Rich was killed July 10th, I knew that was a message to me because that's my birthday, July 10th. So here I am coming forward. This is a plea that I'm going to read here for you today. The plea is for those who has yet to contribute to the GoFundMe.com Kevin Ives, Don Henry murders that happened 30 years ago. Please contribute to the fund so that the investigator can continue his work. He says that they still need to interview possible witnesses and gather more information that will assist him in the investigation of the murder of Kevin Ives and Don Henry. Also, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram, hashtag Kevin Ives, hashtag Don Henry. A former drug trafficker, I'm ashamed to say, and a hired enforcer. In the late 70s and early 1980s, when I was in my 30s, I stood six foot three and weighed between 260 and 300 pounds. I was very visually intimidating. I'm not proud to say that. In the 1980s, I transported and trafficked large quantities of cocaine throughout the United States of America. 
I bought cocaine from the largest drug trafficker in the United States, Barry Seal, out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I would then sell that cocaine to contacts around the United States. Barry Steele later introduced me to a politician drug dealer from Arkansas. In 1984, that politician drug dealer asked me to kill David Kennedy, who I later learned was the son of very well-known politician Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of President John F. Kennedy. I was also an enforcer who provided muscle to other parts of the criminal element to ensure that their illegal business dealings were collected upon. In August of 1987, I was contacted by the Arkansas criminal politician and was asked if I would provide muscle at an Arkansas drug stop. The criminal politician suspected that some drug money drops were being stolen. He suspected that the state police officers were involved in the thefts in Arkansas. I agreed to assist with security at the drug drop site. While conducting security for the drug money drop, I witnessed the murders of two young boys, Kevin Ives and Don Henry. They were murdered by other individuals who were working for the same criminal politician. Their bodies were placed on the railroad tracks to be mutilated by a passing train. In late 2016, I contacted Linda Ives and informed her that I was on the railroad tracks and when her son was murdered, I was there. I have since met Larry and Linda Ives and their private investigator, Keith Ronsaval. I gave them a statement outing everything that I knew about their sons and Don Henry's murders. In my statement, I named three local enforcement officers, two local attorneys, politicians, and a local bar owner as those being on the scene of the murders in 1987. I also named the criminal politician who directed the events at the scene via cell phone with one of the attorneys, politicians, and me. Your assistance by donating to the Kevin Ives and Don Henry GoFundMe account is greatly appreciated by Larry, Linda Ives, me, Billy Jack Haynes, please, if you've got it in your heart, I'm standing here putting my life on the line today, telling you that I could very well be killed. Open your pocketbooks, give money to this fund, because they have to be taken down. And Linda Ives, after 30 years, man, 30 years, if your son was killed, you deserve some credit, too, and you deserve some money coming your way so it can be investigated. Go to the GoFundMe page, please. Thank you very much. And I encourage anyone and everyone, as we bring Lisa O'Brien, our co-host, on from the beautiful city of New Orleans. Lisa, good evening. Good evening. I'm, uh, Lisa, I'm... I'm I, I, 
I'm at a loss for words as I read. I'm reading the Encyclopedia of Arkansas History right now, having watched the Mena Connection um, documentary that was put out, The Obstruction of Justice. This has been featured on Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine having a, a 19-year-old stepdaughter and being engaged to a woman that has a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old. I can't imagine the um, the feeling of loss that one would have and then the circumstances for which surrounds this, you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's almost, and we're going to get to Miss Ives here in just a minute, but the feeling of not being able to, to, to get justice, even though it's right there, it's just right, right, it's like right there on the, uh, right there. And there's nothing that seems to be done because of the machine that they're going up against. I mean, we're talking right. huge political involvement but, here. And I mean, I, I think that's the biggest part of the problem is that there are people who are looking out for their own interests and covering their own asses, and so then they pretend to be interested in getting justice and getting to the bottom of this, and they're just lying through their teeth. That's the thing that offends me so much. Well, and, uh, and this is where – oh, go ahead. I'm good sorry. people a bad name, you know. Well, Lisa, where it gets interesting, though, this is where it gets real interesting, and we're going to go ahead and bring uh, Mr. Keith Ronsoval and Miss Linda Ives onto the show. Uh, Mr. Keith and, and Miss Linda, well, actually, Mr. Keith, let's start this off so we don't step on each other. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thank you. And Miss Linda, given the circumstances for what this show is about, I, I hope that you're doing well. Well, I'm hanging in there. That's about all I can say. You know, the thing of it is, Brad, I've grown old dealing with this case. If you told me 30 years ago I'd still be at square one, number one, I wouldn't have believed it. Number two, I'd probably handled things much differently than I did. I I can't imagine. And, and again, my deepest sympathies for, for what you've had to go through and your family and, and, and Don's family. Um, I'm so sorry that this has happened. Um, you know, Lisa was talking about the corruption, um, going back to the, the time that you found out about this. Uh, I forgot that one of the key players in this Dan Harmon was actually, was he, was he not giving y'all the, that he was out looking for the killer. Oh, well, at the time, Dan was a private attorney. He had not been elected prosecutor yet. And we had decided to just get a second opinion. And when we approached the crime lab asking for a testable sample of everything, they just flat out refused and denied court orders. And so we have, well, I called the attorney general's office he told me there was not a thing they could do that they could suggest that Dr. Malik, the medical examiner, turn items over to us, but they couldn't force him to. And so we held a press conference, and uh, we were approached at that press conference by Dan Harmon and a friend of his who was a deputy prosecutor at the time, Richard Garrett, and they claimed to want to help us get to the bottom of what was going on 
And we were ecstatic for the offer of help because that's far we run into brick walls everywhere we went. Uh, we thought they were there to help. And uh, in fact, for years, when people would try to tell me things about them, I would say, but they helped us when nobody else would. So um, that was our first experience with the machine, I guess you would call it. I, you know, just the, the nerve of to the nerve to know what he was involved. In. I mean, uh, Mister uh, Mr. Rounds of all, can you? I mean, you've talked to Billy Jack Haynes, um, and you've gotten sworn depositions, I guess, or, or video confessions of this. Did he? Has he mentioned um, how many people were there the evening that? Mr. that Kevin Ives and Don Henry were actually murdered. Yeah, he uh, he knows of seven, including himself, that he was able to identify as being there. There were two other individuals that picked up the drop. An airplane dropped uh, ten to twelve duffel bags out of their airplane, and uh, they floated down on parachutes. And then two guys that were in a van went and collected those parachutes and, and duffel bags and left the area. He does not know who was in the van. Okay. But he knows because, the uh, other seven people. Right. Now, Miss Ives, let's just to kind of go back and set the scene. Obviously, anyone listening's probably got a fair amount of this picture that's that we're trying to paint tonight. Um, but the family Malik, who's a joke, uh, let's just establish that. Um, he has said that, well, okay, let's, let's go back a little bit further. Uh, the, the reason that Kevin and Don were out in the woods was that if, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm under the understanding that Kevin was spending the night over at Don's place that evening. Yes, that's. No, I, I do want to point out, I'm not trying to place blame, but um, we would have never allowed Kevin to go out hunting out of season in particular. Uh, we assumed that when they uh, went into the evening, their curfew was both at 12.30, and we assumed when they went in at 12.30, they were in for the night, and it turned out to not be the that's that's where I was gonna ask was you know and um, I guess you know it's it's I guess a tough decision back then but you know being the situation and circumstances unfortunately what they are uh, Don Henry's dad allowed them to to go spotlighting and so they go up in these woods and um, do you. And I don't want to bring up anything. If you don't want to answer a question, I completely understand. But with uh, Billy Jack's confession, have you guys gotten any kind of uh, details as to what happened that evening? Well, there seems to be a number of different stories, some with more merit than others. Uh, There's been stories about Kevin and Don being there to rip off the drugs. Drop, which I don't believe for a moment. 
there's been others that had an earlier draw, but this seems to be uh, from other up the week before have gone missing. And um, the governor who was collecting the money from the wanted to know who was stealing his money and getting his drugs. And Kevin along came, came along, and one of two things, they decided to blame him for it to take the attention away from the school. They interrogated the information they did not get. And uh, I'm moving I'm in everything at right i'm at, i'm at a i'm just i'm so sorry i'm at a loss for this whole situation so now the boys were placed on the railroad tracks uh after after apparently Kevin Ives, and they said that, and this is this autopsy by Miss by Fammy Malik, uh, that he had been hit with the the blunt end of a rifle, and there were stab wounds associated with both of them, or just Kevin, or Don. Which one was that? Actually, both of them. Kevin had okay. had skull crushed by the butt of the rifle, and Don had been stabbed in the back. There's also a cut in, in Kevin's shirt that had blood around it. So there was uh, the suspicion, at least, that he had also been stabbed. But now none of this came out until the second autopsy. None of it was brought out during Malik's autopsy. In fact, in fact Malik's autopsy was so incomplete, he failed to even notice that one of Kevin's feet were left out on the tracks that night. I was going to mention that uh, that they found it, you know, at a later time. Um, right. In now, plain sight. Right. And, and they're saying that now Femi Malik's initial ruling, his, his conclusive ruling was that the boys had smoked the equivalent of 20 uh, marijuana joints and had succumbed to THC and had passed out on the railroad tracks and that's the inevitable rate uh, uh, motive or uh, death. Was it? Is that not what he said? Yes, that was his initial ruling. We were immediately told that there were traces of marijuana in the blood, and that they expected heavy drugs, which there were not. And so they decided to rule accidental rather than suicidal. And um, later on, Dr. Burton's second autopsy confirmed that only smoked about one joint. You know, Malik's absurd statements, like he could tell by looking at the appearance of blood what the type was. He could tell all amazing things that nobody else could tell. Um, he, you know, his his comment and his, his autopsy report were. Uh, just bordering on ridiculous. Right. I mean, and the thing about it is, and, and, you know, this is where I guess these, this, the, the machine that, that is the politicians involved, the Clintons and uh, Dan Harmon and the Saline County group um, is that 
you know, people need to realize that these were 16 and 17 year old boys. It's 1987. And while you wouldn't want the use of marijuana, you know, everybody right. to a degree has tried it at one point, one joint to two joints isn't going to render you totally unconscious. And that's the audacity of, of Fami Malik to even try to push that number one smells of, of a, an absolute conspiracy and, and a cover up, you know, and that's the issue. And I'm so glad that you were able to get, um, what was the gentleman's name? Was it, was it, it was the, the guy out of Atlanta. It was Garrett. Burton. 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 Uh-huh. And he did yeah. the... He did the child murder cases out there. He's very well-renowned internationally. And um, he actually had lost a 17-year-old son very shortly to, uh, prior to this. And uh, he took great pity on us. Didn't charge the county for a lot of things that he did. And uh, spent a tremendous number of hours on the case trying to, you know, come to some logical conclusion. Uh, One of the things that Malik also did was to use a test on their blood that was designed to be used on urine. And so, you know, that's the kind of autopsy we got the first time around. And um, it it was just a total total joke that was not funny at all, uh, which is why we set out to get a second opinion. Right. Uh, we're going to, uh, Lisa, do you have any questions so far for Miss Ives? No, I, not yet. I'm, I'm still, you know, listening and trying to digest the story and figure out who all the players are. That's the, uh, the most difficult part is there's so many people. Well, you know, yes. when we first started, Lisa, we thought we were dealing with a couple of dirty cops. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what we thought. And um, as it turned out, it was much more sinister than that. Yeah. Although I have to say, in Fami Malik's defense, I don't think he was in on any conspiracy. He just was by that point, sloppy and careless, I don't think well, he care. Because well, and he's the like, one that screwed up on the Laramore. Oh, case. he screwed so many cases, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, he he actually liked to ingratiate himself with the sheriffs, and mm-hmm. uh, many testified that he would call them and say, what have we got? And he would set about proving their case for them. Right, right. Although there is there is no mistaking the fact that he didn't even note that Kevin's foot was missing. Did not even note it in his right. No, I I, I I like I said he was careless and sloppy. He was and careless I, I don't think he he was careless and sloppy. And I don't yes. think that he cared. Yeah, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. He's living uh, large in Florida right now, by the way. And, you know, Lisa, uh, I will I will have to say that I will respectfully disagree with that. I think that 
Fami Malik was in the was in the back pocket of I mean Bill Clinton and at that point everyone remembers our wonderful mother of a uh, yes Clinton's mother jo- Jocelyn Clinton. Elders yes <laughs> and uh, also, you know yeah exactly and and also one of the things that he did to Kevin that nobody has had an explanation for since that time, including Dr. Burton, that he totally dismantled Kevin's skull. He removed all of the bones from each other and removed the jaws, removed the teeth. He totally dismantled Kevin's skull. And my opinion is, an opinion, is that he was covering up a bullet wound. Just my opinion. And and given the circumstances, I would, I will gladly support your opinion as fact, in my opinion. (laughs) But because of the fact that even Mr. Burton himself has said he's never seen this before. Uh, You know, he sawed the, the, the skull in so many different various ways that there was no way to, to trace the uh, impact of the, of the rifle. Am I? Exactly. Um, Also, there were numerous reports by various witnesses of gunshots. And one of the very first things I was told about Kevin was that he had been shot. So to me, it's, you know, that's the only likely explanation um, or the only explanation I've heard as to why he did that to his skull. Yeah. Right. I, I don't, I don't, I just don't understand. So now that the, if you don't mind, after uh, the second autopsy, could you walk us through a little bit more of the process of what took place? Well, it actually took place on Larry and I's anniversary. And uh, Larry went up to the medical center and sat outside while they um, brought the bodies in. They had exhumed them the day before. Um, I was out with friends, and um, they meticulously um, uncovered, noted, photographed everything there was to be done, including the um, things that were in jars inside the casket. Um, and, you know, did a second autopsy and then replaced everything and reburied them. So, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, if there was anything else to it, I'm totally unaware of it. It was a very long and stressful and um, horrible day for both of us. Yeah. So... Now, y'all have gone through that, and let me ask you, now, this is uncovered a, I mean, there's a a body count, you know, out of all of this. Have, had you guys experienced any kind of unusual activity, or had y'all seen anything involving either you or your husband or or anything uh, at, for continuously keeping to pushing this forward? Um, you know, Larry was busy trying to earn a living. He was a railroad engineer, and he was in and out of town. I was at home 
and I would learn certain bits and pieces of things and be excited about them and living and breathing the case. And um, he'd come home and he didn't really want to hear about it. Um, you know, he thought I was being melodramatic and overdramatic and making more of things that were there. And he kept saying, Linda, not everybody can be involved in this. So, you know, it was a stressful time for both of us. Um, as as far as what our different roles were, you know, Larry Larry preferred to be removed from it for the biggest part. Although I will say that he he was and is very supportive of anything and everything that I do. Uh, that's that's, that's I do, really good. Yeah, oftentimes I do and say things that he doesn't particularly like, but he's always supportive. Now I'm was reading something here. I wanted to ask the the tarp keeps is a huge piece of when they talk about the locomotive coming down the track and I was gonna ask you I've seen reports that there never was one, that there was one. Was there a green tarp involved in all this? There absolutely was a tarp. My husband is a locomotive engineer for 39 years, and there are three crew members who sit in different positions on that locomotive, and they have never all three seen an optical illusion at the same time and and place. Uh, one of the crewmen, uh, Jerry Tomlinson, the conductor, uh, got irritated at you know, one of the uh, CID officers, Chuck Talent, calling it an alleged tarp, an alleged gun. And he told him, he said, come with me. And he took a flashlight and he walked back to the point of impact where the tarp had blown down onto what we call the bulkhead of the bridge. And he said, now there's your alleged tarp. There's your alleged gun. And he said, I don't want to hear him called alleged anymore. So he was really angry at the attitude and, and um, you know, the demeanor of all of the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office personnel that night. Right. And, I mean, obviously, the um, when this first happened, you know, you probably were unaware, obviously, as to the, the scope of all this. Um, can you give me your initial, your, your thoughts even today with knowing what you know now and these people, and then obviously uh, I want to get into before we go to the, the first hour break, you know, your thoughts on now that you know everything that's virtually kind of gone on, um, it's almost like surreal to me to even think about, you know, this, the everybody involved and, and everything. So could you kind of give me your what what goes through your mind when you when you have to relive this every day? Well, just um, you know, it, it's incredible to to a large degree. I can't believe they have the nerve to sit there and tell me that one of the murder suspects' nephew, who is sheriff, and his best friend. Uh, 
friends who they have no conflict of interest. I don't know how stupid they think I am. Um, you know, it doesn't take much to figure out there's a conflict. And yet they sit there and deny it. So they have no trouble working. Well, I have. And um, they're not going to take. You know, I right, may not have. Yeah. You can't say that the state police has uh, got a whole lot more. You know, I don't have any evidence for the FBI, but I'm leaving it with the friend. So. Right. Now, I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, I know I don't want to, to to keep you on as any longer than you know you're you wanting to be on. Uh, I know you said you had been dealing with a, a few health issues, and again I appreciate you for taking the time to come on and and I hope that in some way at some point uh, they find justice for both Kevin and Don and everyone affected. But I wanted to ask you now, there was um, a lady, and I. Cannot remember her name. That's just how many people are uh, super involved in this case. Um, that there's a we got another phone call on. Can we can we call in Michael and see if we can screen that? I'm not taking hot calls on this topic until I can find out what it's about. But um, there's a lady that was appointed uh, for a, to a drug task uh, investigation. Yeah. Yeah, and Dan Harmon spent the entire time smearing her in both the Benton Courier and the Arkansas Democrat Gazette with these insider um, friends of his yeah, uh, that were reporters. Jean Duffy was and her name. Jean Duffy, that's correct. And, and you... You, um, she um, was basically told at the initial onset of her investigation to not interview any politicians That's or correct. political figures, correct? That's correct. Easy as it sounds, that's correct. That is, that is unbelievable. That, that And then... And so then she starts talking to, uh, is it Govad, Gorvad? Govar. Govar, that's Govar. right. He was an assistant U.S. attorney. And he, and, and Lisa, you're the, the legal expert here, the paralegal. So he's uh, involved in this grand jury, correct? Yeah, she was, actually there were two grand juries. A 1988 county grand jury that Dan Harmon was in charge of, and then a 1990 federal grand jury that Bob Govar was involved in. Okay, and so Mr. and so Bob Hare is is potentially looking at indictments against Dan Harmon and a few others involved in the case. And he's dealing with was it was it Knox Chuck Knox? Chuck Banks. Okay, he was dealing with them. And That's correct. 
it got to the point now where people were being run out of town and everything else, correct? That's right. Jean Duffy actually had to flee in fear of her life. The indictments came down from the federal grand jury. She could come back, but unfortunately that never happened. But Banks was offered a federal judgeship in exchange for shutting down the federal grand jury. And he was offered the, he was nominated. It was never taken on or confirmed by Congress. Because from what I watched last night, um, Jean Duffy uh, was told that she couldn't come back until until these um, indictments were handed down, and that Bob had told her they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and then they were ultimately there was a press conference, and it was noted that they weren't going to be coming out. Um, nope, they, they cleared Harmon and all of his relatives and all of his cohorts of all wrongdoing. That doesn't shock me. No. <laughs> no. It was shocking at the time. We were both hopeful that indictments were imminent, but that never happened. I mean, just... And I mean, this is a guy, ladies and gentlemen, and if you're not familiar with this aspect, Dan Harmon is using a gentleman by the last name of Thompson. And I think there was a a lady, the Linda, maybe, that was for the Benton Courier and then one for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And he was absolutely just throwing this propaganda uh, out there against uh, Gene Duffy. And it didn't matter. She knew stuff, but she took the high road and did not say anything. Uh, and then if you if you go back, um, you know, there's a, a gentleman, uh, what is his name? Keith McCaskill. Can you explain his relevance yeah. to this case, Ms. Ives? Well, uh, Keith McCaskill was a local bar owner and bouncer. Very, very big guy. Similar, I would say, to... Um, um, uh, Billy Jack, uh, well known for his fighting prowess, and um, for a long time we thought that he just gave information and they killed him. He threw two pennies down on the floor the night of the election on or whatever it was, nineteen eighty-eight. And he said, if Jim Steed loses his election, I'm going to the person who sent. Well, Jim Steed lost, and he was stabbed 113 times. It wasn't until later, from other instances, that we learned that Keith McCaskill was actually on the scene of the man. Wow. Uh, and, and we're going to go real quick to, to Lisa, you know, you've, you've heard this and the grand jury now has not been allowed to, to speak. Um, and or to their indictments, uh, Lisa, you have any thoughts so far? Yeah, I don't know. The, the state grand jury, I know there was some skullduggery going on, 
the federal grand jury, I don't know, I've heard a couple of uh, a couple of things. I don't know whether they just didn't think they had enough present and they, you know, just threw up their hands or whether there was well, something deeper. I'm, I, I just, I kind of give people the benefit of the doubt maybe too much. Actually, Ted and, Banks down that federal grand jury uh, held a press conference and set it down before all the grand jurors. People of whom contacted Julie Duffy and were so irate because they had intended to do indictments against Harmon and others. And the grand jurors were livid over them shutting down the federal grand jury. Okay. See, I thought it was the state grand jury that was shut down, and they yeah, couldn't did their thing, and then the federal was just, it was continued and never reopened. No, it was shut down. I took my dismissed. Okay. So the county grand jury, 1988, ended um, – at the end of 1988, on the year, which is required. Okay. So, and they were, they were because they were not allowed to issue the reports that they wanted to issue. So right. there was some confusion there. Right. So that was, and, and this was part of the problem with, with some of the problem with this, nothing's ever made it into court. So there really aren't any opinions that summarize facts and what we know and what the evidence is. And so you have to read different web pages and articles and try and put everything together. Well, there's actually one very good document that came out of a video that we produced in 1999. Um, Pat Cristiano, the filmmaker. Oh no, I'm, I, I'm talking about. I'm talking about court opinion. Well, this is a court opinion, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeal. They issued a 24-page opinion about Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell, and um, it's one of the best documents in the case. So, anybody said. Was that the defamation trial? Yes, the defamation trial, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Yes. Okay. I know it's very right. confusing. It's very hard to tell in a manner that's easily understood. There's just so much stuff. Um, right, right. <laughs> it's hard I, it's, I, I think it's my, – my impression was – because some of it was involved, or, or it began with Iran Contra, right. that there may also be the uh, national security interests that are stepping in and saying, "Don't do that. Exactly. Don't look at it." You know, and, that's the linchpin of everything, I believe. You know, they yeah. don't want to unravel with that. You know, with the case. Because it would unravel other things in Mina. Right, and right. That's why the resistance from the federal government on down 
Well, I think it just it looks so bad for them that people, so many people went rogue. Yeah, they don't care. And started <laughs> dealing drugs and, you know, um, yeah. it, it's well, egg on their face either way. Yeah, it's egg on their face that they knew or egg on their face that they didn't know. Yeah, they knew. They knew exactly what was going on and didn't care. You know, just do their do the part they wanted them to do, and what they did on the way back and what they brought back didn't matter. So, um, you know, it was all sanctions. So, Lisa, so Lisa and 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 Linda here. So now, has there ever been an established? So this is a continuation because obviously this was August twenty third of nineteen eighty seven. We all know that that uh, Barry Seals was actually murdered and gunned down in Baton Rouge in 1986, right before he was to testify. So is this? I mean, coming through. I know that that there was ties to the Arkansas Defense or Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration, Webb Hubble, the Rose Law Firm, Vince Foster, all of that stuff. Uh, tied in with with the the Clintons and and all, uh, but have they established a potential link to these drug drops in in Mina from or uh, in Alexander from Mina? Well, you know they that operation was uh, did not stop because they feel that you know that operation was too profitable and. Um, you know, too much money being made and too many people getting a share for it to be shut down. Um, so it continued. They say they're operating out of Mena Airport. Or not, but I have reason to believe. And so this, you know, and, and it's obvious it's a kind of an indictment on itself that Barry Seal, or excuse me, Dan Harmon, uh, obviously was arrested and served, what, nine years of a 10-year sentence for drugs and such, and I believe he was rearrested and convicted on something else not too long ago. Yeah, he wasn't convicted. He was convicted on that second part. And he, I have got to get a witness on Nobody cares. Um, the first charge is only served time. He out early because he testified against trying to have a federal judge killed. So whether or not that actually happened, I have no idea. Right. Absolutely. Well, we're about here to the first hour, so I want to ask you, um, and it, and it's and if it's too personal, you don't, you know, obviously I don't, you don't have to answer anything, but you know, now you know, uh, Kevin, God bless his soul, no longer with us. Uh, Don Henry, no longer with us. Uh, when you first heard about Billy Jack Haynes, um, I can only imagine the. Uh, list of of emotions that ran through obviously him being a part of your son's murder him being there the ability to stop it the 
ability to do this and that. Uh, and the this case that could have been uh, um, golden light in a you know dark and really voided place. Can you talk about um, if you don't mind? You know, the mindset that you had when Billy Jack Haynes came into the picture with what he had to say? Well, um, I guess surprise for one thing. You had been 30 years. Number two, a professional wrestler. Uh, I used to laugh. I'd say I would pray for somebody to come forward and bust the case wide open. I just never dreamed it would be a <laughs> totally unrelated, totally uh, foreign to me. Oh no, I I um this sentence I hear. I talked to Billy for probably for a year before he and um. You know, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of things that I couldn't understand how things work. And um, it took me a long time to uh, I really get on board with Billy. I believe he's telling the truth. Um, you know, I've never talked him in a long time. Imagine why he would insert Double homicide, everything to lose. Um, you know, just uh, I've I've come to you, um, feel like a friend. Um, not saying easily won because it wasn't. I didn't know how I would feel being in the same room with him. Um. But it's been much easier than I expected. Um, is the only way I know how to describe it. Been a lot of heart to heart talk. Um, but I think we are in a situation where we both can live. Right, and obviously, they say that that uh, time has a tendency to heal. Uh, wounds and stuff so obviously after 30 years I could imagine there would have been some a little bit of anger I'm sure but you know the fact that now you have this this potential uh, opening into this case which probably looked all but done at this point it's got to be great Um, let's bring Lisa back on real fast Uh, you know Miss Ives you're welcome to stay around if you'd like to listen to the show and we can put you on mute when uh we go to Mr. Rounds of All, but I want to ask you. Um, we've got a mute real. Sorry, we're having a few technical issues in the inside here. But uh, before we go to to inv- the investigator Keith Rounds of All, can you tell us about uh, how you came to Keith Rounds of All and how he got involved uh, from your perspective or your position? Poor Keith got roped in it before he knew what was going on. He happened to be a friend of a retired homicide that had been working 
Sometimes about having him glued down where he can't get loose. Um, but he, he has made more progress in things than I've made probably in 30 years because he knows what to do and how to do it. Um, I could, I, I leave every decision because I don't Right, and I've I've actually spoken with him on the phone, and a, a really nice guy from the brief conversation that we've had, and uh, you know, everyone who has the opportunity, I would encourage them to go to the GoFundMe dot com, and you can search Kevin and Kevin Ives and Don Henry murders, and make a donation uh, to help further. Uh, Mr. Roundsavall's progress uh, so that he can gather vital information and get these vital interviews so that we can bring justice to, to you, uh, Miss Ives and and your husband and uh, Don's family and anyone that's been affected because uh, obviously the show tonight is about Kevin and Don, but you know, if you're familiar with what we're talking about, there are more bodies than just, um, and lives lost than just Kevin and Don. I mean, we're talking uh, uh, who's who of, of people exactly. that we're going to potential witnesses that are gone. So we're going to bring Lisa in real quick, Miss Ives. Uh, maybe she has a final thought before we go ahead and let you, you like you said, well, you can go on hold if you'd like and listen to Keith. And uh, But Lisa, do you have any final things you'd like to say to Miss Ives? Well, I just want to say, uh, you know, I do admire her fight to try to get justice for her son and I'm sorry for her loss and I think she knows that the people may not have justice in this life but it will come in the next one Absolutely, no matter what you believe it it will come that's what what keeps you going I do want to say too that Keith works pro bono I've never paid him a dime He's gotten in his car and driven across this country more than once. He has interviewed people all over the place. He has spent money doing testing. Um, he has spent money on lodging. He has spent money on food. Um, you know, he spent a lot of his own money. And, you know, I, I luckily was always in a position where we could pay for what we needed done along the years. But, you know, Larry and I have grown old and, you know, we're on a fixed income now, and things are different. And so, you know, Keith is just a lifesaver for us, and I'd love to see him um, not have to pay for this case out of his pocket. Uh, yeah. Anything we see yeah. for him, I will be thrilled about. So that's that's all I have to say, and I'm just going to fade out. Uh, I just wanted to thank you so much. Again, from from the bottom of our hearts, Miss Linda, uh, we appreciate you. We we pray that you are able to find justice uh, for your son Kevin and 
his friend Don and everyone else. So uh, if there's anything in the future that we can do for you, more than free to use our airwaves for anything and, and everything possible. Um, you know, thank I, you. I would thank love you to so do much. on huh? all the dead witnesses. I would love to do a show sometime on all the dead witnesses because there are a lot of young boys there who have lost their lives too. And a lot of absolutely. Sometimes we will think about doing that. That's oh, absolutely. Point. Absolutely, and that's what we do here. Uh, like I was telling uh, Mr. Rounds of all, we're we're funded out of our own pocket. Um, we do not have any advertisers, for the most part. We have one, um, but um, you know we're not restricted in any way. So we have no problem mentioning names. We have no problem talking about just about anything that we feel like talking about. I'm not scared of it. Um, Me neither. <laughs> well, we appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all. You would be surprised at people who are. <laughs> but thank well, you so much. We'll try again. Thank you, Miss Ives. So, Lisa, we're going to take our one-hour break here. We appreciate Miss Ives for coming on the show, taking the time out of her evening here uh, to talk about her son. But when we come back, we're going to get to... Uh, the investigator Keith rounds of all and get his uh, idea. We were going to have Billy Jack Haynes on. Uh, he is not available uh, as we speak. We hope that everything's all right with him. We'll talk about that and much more when we come back. You're listening to behind the curtain here on talk radio 49. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors, located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub-Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it.
And we are back here on Talk Radio 49. It is Behind the Curtain. I am your host, Brad Hicks. It's joined, as usual, by Lisa O'Brien out of the beautiful city of New Orleans. And I'm kind of jealous, Lisa, that you're in New Orleans and I'm stuck here in North Little Rock. But it is what it is. Yeah, that is. It is what it is. You should have been born a coon-ass. Yeah. Well, you know, Lisa, we heard from Miss Ives, and, um, you know, before we get any further into this, I want to say welcome everybody listening to the program. Uh, We're going to get with uh, the investigator Keith Rounds of all here in just a second. I want to let everyone know that, uh, Lisa, you host a show called uh, Clear and Convincing, um, and then you correct. break down p- particular court cases from a le- legal standpoint uh, in the court system. So check that out every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Also, uh, if you're into wrestling, uh, we have ASWF Aftermath on Thursdays. And then when the show runs live from Newport or Tuckerman, Arkansas, we have the ASWF Saturday night. Uh, you can check our Facebook page. Or you can click this link and then go to our homepage on blogtalkradio.com and check that out as well. Also, if you are into secular or progressive political talk, uh, you can join Sean Castleberry and Micah Qualls every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, for On The Real. So a lot of programming coming out of Talk Radio 49 and, of course, Behind the Curtain, a bi-monthly show where... We tackle issues and uh, things of that nature, conspiracies, paranormal, whatever it may be. If you have a show idea, you can go to Facebook to Behind the Curtain, uh, look it up on Facebook, like the page, uh, post a comment, or send me a message. You can also email me at thecurtainpodcast at gmail.com if you would like to, to be a guest or have something you'd like to talk about. Also, on Facebook, there's a, a page I've just recently joined, and I believe Miss Ives kind of heads that up. It's called Justice for Kevin and Don. Um, it's a really neat group. They talk about this in, in recent events. If anyone in there is listening and you have a case that you want to talk about, it could be a cold case, could be an unsolved case, email us that. We will look it up, and we will have a show dedicated here on Behind the Curtain. Not a problem. We're always looking for the next guest, the next topic, uh, and we will schedule you on the show. So, But, you know, right now we've had uh, Keith Roundsaval on hold for a little while, and so we're going to go ahead, Lisa, and bring him in. Uh, Mr. Roundsaval, are you with us? Hi. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you loud and clear. So, so, Mr. Rounds of all, you have been involved with this case for roughly about a year now. That's correct. Now, are you you are from the area, correct? You're you're a Little Rock native. Well, I'm. I have lived here all my adult life. My dad was in the Air Force, so he he was from here, and he retired here. So, when I was a senior in high school, we moved back to Little Rock. And, and and so I you spent, remember this case as it happened? I do remember hearing about it, but I was as naive as as most people were back in the day. I was a police officer with the Little Rock PD. I'm working homicides around the city of Little Rock and supervising homicide investigators. 
And uh, I really didn't know much about this case until uh, I got involved with Linda Ives, and I have learned more than I would like to have learned about what she's been through for the last 30 years. She is a she is my hero. Let me just tell you that she is a woman of integrity and has fought the fight and has been messed around by all kinds of political and people and law enforcement people in the good old buddy system that uh, it's a shame that a family like Larry and Linda Ives has had to go through what they've been through. I mean, absolutely. And the, to attest to just what they've been through, this guy, uh, uh, Keith Roundsville here has been an, a homicide detective in, in Little Rock. So, you know, I mean, obviously in that position, you're kind of desensitized. I, I would imagine to a degree, having seen what you've seen and know what you know. And, and so for you, for it to impact you the way it has obviously tells you that the, the nature of what we're seeing here. Absolutely. I mean, I, I am sick to have learned what I've learned about uh, has gone on in our country 30 for the last 30 years. And I just can assume it's still going on, but this all relates to the MENA connection and what happened to Kevin Ives and Don Henry is a offshoot of the MENA uh, drug smuggling done by Barry Seal at the behest of the DEA and the CIA. Um, right. It's, it's, uh, it's all rotten to its core, and that's why our, all of these investigations have been shut down is because the powers-to-be uh, did not want it to be, to be revealed that our country and our government was allowing drugs to be brought in to the United States. And uh, that's why these investigations were shut down before they could really get started. Uh, and uh, that, I'm convinced that's, that is exactly what happened. And my investigation into this has just uh, confirmed my uh, my suspicion that that's what happened. At right. Uh, I, I, and that's the... You know, the thing, you know, you, you obviously heard about the case, and now that you're working the case, I can imagine what you've seen and heard. Um, so let me ask you this. when and it, Have you heard from Billy Jack Haynes now? I don't want people to think that we lured him in to listen to the show uh, on the access that we weren't going to get him. Is he okay? Have you talked to him at all? Because, you know, we were well, going to have him on the show. Right. The last time I talked to him... There had been a uh, an incident that had him very concerned for his safety, uh, but I haven't talked to him recently. He, uh, I don't have his number. He calls me from a blocked number occasionally, and uh, so I don't, I'm not able to get in contact with him until he contacts me, and I can visit well, with him over the phone. And 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 I know that everyone listening, familiar with the case, knows that this isn't being melodramatic or, um, you know, playing it up for for sensationalism. I mean, this is legit. And and, and if 
what he says is is 100% valid. He is actually a target. So I was, you know, and, and like we spoke on the phone, um, getting him out there and getting his story out there in both print and recorded audio or whatever, hopefully that will keep him around, uh, you know, and keep him safe because I, I personally don't want anything to happen to any, any anybody else that it doesn't have to happen to. Uh, but, Absolutely, uh, yeah. And I really, like I said, I really was was looking forward to speaking with him, but you know, we just hope at this that everything is okay with him, and that you can that you hear from him at some point, and that uh, he was able to to continue to 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 be around, obviously because you know I've heard it said, Mister Roundsvault, in doing this interview, people had told me, well, these guys are older, it doesn't matter, they're too old to even care about it anymore, and I don't I don't agree with that. I think that these guys still have uh, uh, motives, and I think they still, you know, there's stuff that they still could lose out of all this and the fallout from all of this from a knowledge perspective. I mean, you look how closely guarded some of the stuff from the Kennedy assassination is. There's still sealed documents for 75-plus years. So to think that this doesn't exist and this couldn't happen is absolutely absurd. It is absurd. And I would invite anybody to go to YouTube and um, type in CIA connection to cocaine, and there is all kinds of documented YouTube videos in reference to the CIA dealing in cocaine over the last 30 years plus. Right, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just tell you that if you'll wa- if you'll look at that, you will see that this is not uh, something that just happened one time. It's uh, been an ongoing issue. Uh, that's how they fund a lot of their covert operations. And uh, you know, I'm, I may be uh, putting myself in danger by even saying that, but that's okay. I'm I have gotten to the age I am. Didn't expect to live this long. Um, so we'll see what happens. Oh, I don't blame you. And, 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 you know, I, I am a conspiracy guy. I, I believe in a lot of, a lot of things, uh, to be not what they appear to be. Uh, but that's a different thing. That's why I do this show. But to, you know, you go back and you watch, first of all, it was for its entertainment purpose. It was, it was entertaining, but a farce in in American made with Tom Cruise, the the story of Barry Seals, absolute farce to me. Uh, knowing the legitimate side of the Barry Seals story, that movie couldn't even, couldn't have been less Hollywood if it tried. But it does serve a purpose, I think, in in maybe hopefully motivating some people or getting people interested in. That part, and obviously, you know, uh, Mr. Rounds of All, if, if you Google or you YouTube Barry Seal, Mina comes up, and then Obstruction of Justice comes up, the Mina Connection comes up. So, hopefully, more eyes and ears of some younger uh, people will get out on this, and you know, we can do this whole because you know, we seem like a, a, a society of change now. So, hopefully, with this information and moving forward, that we can bring about some justice, but 
Now, when you talk to Billy Jack Haynes, um, I have to ask you, you know, because here's to me, you know, being in professional wrestling on a smaller independent scale, you know, here comes this guy after 30 years, professional wrestler. So we know he's good at, at acting and things of that nature. Um, what was your initial reaction to Billy Jack Haynes when he, when he approached you or approached Linda and Linda approached you, however it worked out and said, Hey, I was there. Um, obviously you had to have some skepticism. Absolutely. Well, my first issue was gaining the trust of Mr. Haynes so that he would know that I was on, wasn't on the, the other side. And that that took a while for me to gain his trust. Uh, it didn't happen immediately. It, took, it happened over a period of about six months. And uh, once I gained his trust, then he came forward with uh, with a lot of information that I was skeptical about um, initially. But after I, I went to Portland and interviewed him in Portland where he lived at that time and uh, spent the next two months with him. He, he drove back from Portland with me to Little Rock. Uh, I asked him if he wanted to meet Linda Ives and he, he at first said, I don't want to go back to Arkansas. That's no place I want to be. And uh, he thought about it for a day or so and then agreed to drive back with me from Portland to Little Rock. And we made the trip back, got to visit a lot on the trip. We'd stop almost every day about dark. I wanted to see the country on the way back. And we'd stop, and then we'd spend the evening visiting and talking and and me getting to know him and him getting to know me better. And uh, after that, we made it to Little Rock. I asked him if he wanted to visit with Linda Ives. He said he did. I called Linda, and she said she wanted to meet him. So I set up a meeting with Linda, and uh, they sat down the first uh, the first time they met. I could tell it was uh, contentious, you know. It wasn't just a, a cordial kind of thing. There were some doubts in uh, Linda's mind as well as Larry's mind. And uh, after a little bit, they settled in, and... I made a video of Billy Jack Haynes telling, uh, reading a statement that he had prepared and telling Linda and holding Linda's hand, uh, telling her exactly what happened the night that her son was killed. And that was a, uh, that was a pretty uh, eventful uh, evening or day for me based on my years of uh, being a private investigator. I've been a private investigator now for 25 years, and I was with the Little Rock Police Department for 25 years. So I've been uh, spent 50 years of my life doing what I do. Right. I, so this, this gentleman, uh, Ron Dane, on this group, I wanted to ask a couple of questions for Billy Jack Haynes. Now, you've gotten a statement from him. Do you mind if I read you these three questions and potentially if you've heard, you know, you've heard his side, would you mind answering these questions? Do you know the answer to? Right. I'll answer them the best I can. 
the first question then will come at what point did Billy Jack Haynes first see Keith McCaskill come to the tracks? Um, the rumor suggests he came later on after Lane and Campbell came back with the boys already beaten. Is, is that the case? Yes. My understanding from Billy Jack is that there were three uh, vehicles besides the one he was in that, that backed into a dark spot at the drop zone. And after the drop was made and nobody tried to steal anything from the drop, at that point, Sheriff Steed, who was the sheriff of Saline County at the time, who Billy Jack had ridden to, the, to that drop area with, got out of his car and shined a flashlight at the other two cars that were there. Well, out of uh, one of the cars came Jay Campbell and Kirk Lane. Out of the other car came Dan Harmon. But Billy Jack said that he could see movement in the car, that he suspected there was at least one other person still in the car, but he couldn't tell who it was. And at some point he asked Dan Harmon, who you got in your car? And Harmon replied, um, my security. And eventually, after the boys were brought back dead, one of them was dead, one of them was uh, almost dead, um, all of a sudden, Keith McCaskill and Richard Garrett showed up. Uh, and, and he suspects they got out of the car. He didn't see them get in, out of Harmon's car, but that's what he thinks happened. Okay. And question number two. Well, and and I don't know these names, so if you could kind of clarify who these people are. Um, how long did Lane and Campbell stay after dropping off the boys back at the tracks? Well, they stayed long enough that uh, they had uh, different different conversations on the phone with Bill Clinton, according to Billy Jack Haynes, and it was de- decided that the boys. Uh, Richard Garrett came up with the fact that a train normally went by that area at about 4.30 in the morning. So it was decided that the boys needed to be put placed on the truck, uh, on the tracks, and the bodies placed on the tracks, and uh, Kirk Lane and, and uh, Jay Campbell assisted in getting the boys up on the track, according to what... Uh, Billy Jack Haynes has told me that they grabbed them by the uh, belt buckles, uh, the belt of their pants, and the hair on their head, and uh, eventually got them to the top of the uh, hill that went on where the tracks were. And then soon after that, Jay Campbell and Kirk Lane left. Okay, and then the final question, and then there's a, a statement that, that I'll make. And the next time you can speak to Billy Jack, this statement's for him from this Ron Dane. But uh, the last question was, did Lane and Campbell load any of the drug drop in a garbage bag into their car before they left the scene for the final time? If you know. No, Billy Jack didn't see any of that. If it happened, uh, he said that all of the bags were dropped from there from the airplane were picked up by a white van occupied by two, at least two people. And he could not identify those two people, 
But that van picked up the parachutes along with the, the uh, bundles that they were, uh, the drugs and money were evidently in, and they left the area soon after picking up those uh, bags. Right. Okay. Well, man, that's wow. And let, and I'll get more into this. Let, do sir. Let me mention this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty-five years ago, witnesses came forward and said they had seen Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell at a grocery store about a half a mile or a mile from where the drop site was. They saw them beating two young boys and th- uh, throwing in, them in the back of what they described as it looked like a police car and leaving the area with the two boys in the back seat. Billy Jack said they, that Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell left after Dan Harmon saw boys on the track, the boys on the track, Dan Harmon hollered, go get them, and Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell got in the car and sped off, only to return about 20 or 30 minutes later, and they reached in the back seat of the car. Each of them pulled a boy out of the back seat of the car, threw him over their shoulder, and walked to where Sheriff Steed, Billy Jack, uh, Haynes was, uh, as well as Dan Harmon. Threw him to the ground, and Billy Jack described um, one of the boys as already being dead, that being uh, the Henry boy, and he said that, that Kevin Ives was spitting up blood and throwing up blood, and he was breathing like it was it maybe his last breath, but he was still alive. Okay, and and uh, the statement, uh, the statement that was that he wanted to make, and if you could deliver this to Billy Jack, would be, whatever the case may be, I would like to thank thank you for stepping forward with your admissions. Tens of thousands of more people, if not more than that, have now been exposed to this tragic story and travesty of justice. So that that from Ron Dane on this group that I'm in. And uh, there's a couple more questions. And, and if we've got about 30 minutes left, but if you want to continue this, Mr. Roundsball, for a few minutes, we won't. It'll it'll be podcast and archived. Um you know, they won't be able to listen to it live, but it will be a, a part of the archive should they want to go back and listen to it or share it. If you don't mind, I just wanted to get some of these questions from these people out of the way. Wanted to also let people know, too, that um, you can hear Billy Jack Haynes uh, live. Um, it's recorded, but you can hear his interview with his side of the story out of his mouth on the Doc Washburn show. Uh, hosted on 102.9 KRN. You can YouTube that if you really want to listen to that as well. But uh, there's a lady here that asked about the video camera having night recording ability during that time. Now, on the Doc Washburn show, uh, Billy Jack said that he was uh, to film the drug drop because... uh, Bill Clinton was worried that someone was stealing money and drugs from the drop zone, correct? Correct. 
And just to set this up, uh, on that show, the Doc Washburn show, uh, Billy Jack said that the two days before these murders, he was in Detroit, Michigan, and getting ready to wrestle King Kong Bundy. And he was delivered an envelope that said to call home. There was a 501 number. Wasn't obviously where he was from. And it was Bill Clinton asking him to come to the uh, to the uh, governor's mansion. And he was he wore his, his, his mask that he wore in wrestling so that he would be inconspicuous because of his stature as a wrestler. And that's when he was flown to Arkansas on Bill Clinton's dime or the state of Arkansas's dime, whatever, and taken to the to the uh, governor's mansion where this meeting with Bill Clinton took place, and he was basically given video recording soft, software, um, software uh, hardware, and then we're talking 1980s, so when we're talking the old VHS, I would imagine, and given that and to record these drop zones because Bill Clinton himself was scared that uh, or had a, a notion that maybe someone was stealing either cash or cocaine or the drugs being dropped. Is that not correct? That's correct. There had been a couple of uh, drops that had been stolen prior to that night. So he wanted to find out, according to Billy Jack, Governor Clinton wanted to find out who was stealing the drops. And uh, he wanted Billy Jack to videotape everything and anything he could. Now, I don't suspect that that video was a very good uh, quality. However, I don't know that the people, other people there would have known how good the quality was. They were very concerned when they saw him recording the, uh, the drop and the other thing. And uh, so that was his job, according to uh, Billy Jack, was to gain as much information as to who might be stealing the drug drops. And Bill Clinton told him that he suspected a couple of state troopers were the ones that were doing the uh, the thefts of the drug drops. Okay, so and his job and the, right. It, it and was another, evident. It was evident that uh, Bill Clinton didn't trust anybody at the drug drop, and that's why he brought uh, Billy Jack Haynes into to be his eyes and ears at the at the scene to find out what exactly was going on. We suspect now that it was probably uh, the drug drops were being stolen by those who were there that night uh, and not any state troopers or anything like that. Right. Um, now, you may know this particular... Uh, I'll just read you the question and, and maybe you can explain it. Uh, another lady said she would like to know if any Leos, L-E-O-S, have initiated any... Do what now? Law enforcement officers, what a Leo is. Okay. Have any law enforcement officers initiated any contact or intend to do any investigating since Billy Jack Haynes has spoken out? Yes, they have. Uh, last week, Linda Ives met with Saline County um, individuals, and they expressed a desire to conduct the investigation into what Billy Jack Haynes has told. And my understanding, talking to Miss Ives, is that she is 
uh, 100% against Saline County having any connection with the investigation because the sheriff of Saline County is the nephew of Dan Harmon, who was named as one of those involved in the murder of her son. And uh, another individual named Kirk Lane is a good friend with the sheriff of Saline County. And it's Linda Ives' opinion and mine as well that there's a conflict of interest and that if Saline County wanted to do the right thing, they would refer the case to uh, the, either the state police or the FBI for them to do the investigation. Okay. They have, and not, they, they have not done that, and I don't know if they're going to or not. And obviously, Kirk Lane's still involved um, in the scene as we speak, as he's made some statements about fighting the drug issue in our state. So, whatever, Kurt. Um, He's the drug you know. for the state of Arkansas now. Well, maybe we can get together and figure out a way to remove him because he's a POS, in my opinion. Um, and I said that, so... <laughs> you know, I, it just... This it just really just frustrates me to no end. The the level that this goes to. Um, I'm I'm scrolling through here real fast. To, okay, another lady said, "Who took the handcuffs off of off of the one of the boys at the tracks?" And then a follow up question from someone else on a comment was, "Why there wasn't any handcuff marks on the boys?" So I'm. Maybe you can kind of clarify that for me. Well, it was Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell that, that when the boys uh, were pulled out of the back of their uh, the police car, it, Billy Jack says they were both handcuffed <clears throat> with their hands behind their backs, and when they were thrown down on the ground in front of Sheriff Steed, Billy Jack Haynes, Dan Harmon, uh, at that point, they continued to be handcuffed until they decided to put them on the track. At that point, Jay Campbell and Kirk Lane unhandcuffed them and helped get them to the... Now, the tracks are about 15 feet above uh, where they, the, the murders or where the boys were dumped because it's a, it's a swampy area there. It's a low-lying area. Not swampy, but a low-lying area. And uh, they, the tracks were built up in case it flooded. So it was about 15 feet above the ground level. And they had to, uh, they had to get the boys up that, that steep incline. And uh, it took some effort to do that. But they finally got them up on, on the tracks. Okay, and uh, uh, the last question that we have so far is, uh, this comes from a, another individual in this group, what charges on which, oh man, I lost it. Um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, what charges on which persons do, do you believe there is sufficient evidence for airtight prosecution? Well, I don't, you know, at this point, I don't know what the, uh, what kind of evidence the Saline County Sheriff's Office still has from 30 years ago. They did a terrible uh, crime scene investigation, 
when they left one of the boys, uh, Kevin Ives' foot on the tracks, that tells you that uh, they didn't really take this thing seriously. And they also left the tarp, which has never been seen since. So I don't know how much evidence the Saline County Sheriff's Office has preserved over the last 30 years. But if they had the tarp, and they had, uh, there should be some DNA on that tarp and on the boy, uh, the boys' clothes if they still have the clothes. So I don't know uh, what they've got and what they don't have. They haven't provided a, Linda has asked for a list of evidence that they still have, you know, 30 years later. And they said they would provide it, but they haven't done that yet. And, and so here's a question that I have. And I was reading this article about Kirk Lane and uh, apparently now he is going to be running for, a, a, I think, a, to be a judge. Maybe. I don't know if if he's if there's an elected official and he's going for it. Let's get out anyone in that jurisdiction or whatever. Let's not vote for the guy. We can't give him that. But I want to ask you, Asa Hutchinson appointed him the dr- direct drug director. Now, I remember reading that at the time that this was going on, was was Asa Hutchinson, not saying he's directly involved in any of this, but was he not uh, involved in the political system at that point back then as well? He was the U.S. attorney for the Western District of Arkansas out of uh, Fort Smith. And uh, they were conducting, there was a state trooper and a and a IRS agent who was conducting an investigation into the MENA, what was going on in MENA with the, uh, at the airport. Well, that uh, investigation included money laundering, which the IRS investigator was doing, as well as drug smuggling, which uh, the state police investigator was doing. That uh, they impaneled a grand jury in the Western District of uh, Arkansas, they called some witnesses, but based on what I have learned, the witnesses they called were not the ones that needed to be called, and that investigation, was that uh, grand jury was shut down uh, without any findings by that grand jury. And that's, that's just another part of this. You know, when the CIA, it gets involved in something, uh, you know they can they can uh, have people do things that most agencies couldn't get them to do, but that's uh, that's what happened in, in the Western District of Arkansas. It happened in the Eastern District in Little Rock. Uh, their investigations were just shut down, and the state trooper that was involved in investigating the Mina deal was later poisoned with anthrax and almost died. And the IRS agent lost his career because he wasn't—he was not willing to perjure himself like his bosses had asked him to do. So he—he he had to quit the IRS after 15 years of service. Right. I'm going to ask and you one, a, one. Let me also explain this to you. There was an FBI agent, a female who was an investiga- investigating the murders uh, out of Little Rock, and that female investigator wanted to, uh, Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell's name came up in the investigation, uh, and she wanted to go interview them. 
she was told that she would not interview any law enforcement uh, officer, and she was finally uh, vilified and sent packing to another location. And uh, she she is very reluctant. I've tried to call her and talk to her, and she doesn't want any more to do with this. It ruined her career. As as it did for for many others as well, and and uh, oh, absolutely. I can only, and I can only under I can only imagine the roadblocks uh, that you've encountered with some of these people because thirty years removed from the situation, I mean, you know, you have to have a, a legitimate fear that if what we're all talking about right now is is legitimate fact, and and I believe it one hundred percent is then just me and you doing this interview today and Lisa being on here, you know, this, this is something that, that's very serious in nature, and these guys do not want to be exposed even 30 years after the fact. But uh, I wanted to ask you two quick, real quick questions, uh, and then Lisa had a, a, a question. But um, the first question I wanted to ask was, uh, did Billy Jack Haynes mention, you know, he talked about being in professional wrestling when he did this. Um, and, and one of my buddies wanted to know, you know, Vince McMahon owned the company at the time or owned it now and did back then as well. Did, did, uh, Billy Jack, did Vince McMahon know anything about what was going on with Billy Jack Haynes and, and away from wrestling? Did he mention anything about that? He did not, and I'm not aware of whether Vince McMahon knew about it or not. Okay, that was just a, a question that, and and I you know, just somebody wanted to know. Um, so let me ask you this before I give you to Lisa: um, Can you talk briefly about the steps that you took? And because obviously there's a lot of people that may look at this. We talked about it earlier with some skepticism, going, "Okay, this guy, yeah, why?" But what have you found so far uh, that, that that lets you to believe that Billy Jack Haynes is telling the truth and not just had 30 good years of studying and reading and watching these documentaries and such and, and getting real inside knowledge, you know, that makes it sound like, hey, I was there, but really he wasn't. Uh, at what point and, and how did you go about validating Billy Jack Haynes' story? Well, uh, like I said, after visiting with him for nearly six months and then finally going to Portland and picking him up there and, and driving back, I got to know uh, the Billy Jack Haynes uh, as a person. And uh, he has told me uh, how God came into his life and why he decided to come forward. And it was because he had uh, gotten off of uh, prescription drugs and that he uh, almost died while he was on those prescription drugs and that uh, he, he had an awakening uh, that the Lord touched his heart and he said after that I could not not get involved and tell Linda that I was there and plus you know you, we got to realize that this man has put his life at risk as well as his freedom at risk. He has admitted to being at the scene where a double murder occurred. And he could be considered a, an accessory or, you know, just like anybody that was there would be. 
So he is, not, you know, this this is not something anybody would take lightly. It is, uh, his safety is at risk as well as his freedom. And he's given me uh, some leads that I need to follow up on that could lead to uh, further uh, further in his statements. And we'll see where those lead. Now, Mr. Oswald, Lisa O'Brien again. Hi, Lisa. I have kind of a two-part question. Um, okay. One, have you found have you found any anything that corroborates what Mr. Haynes has been telling you? I have. Um, okay. What would that be? Well, the, that would be that that the two boys uh, were were. Uh, beaten by um, Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell at the store, which is a quarter mile away. Independent witnesses 25 years ago gave statements uh, that 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 happened. Okay. And then at the same time, there have been three witnesses other than Billy Jack who said that Dan, they saw Dan Harmon on the tracks that night and that, uh, that he was there that night. So that kind of corroborates what Billy Jack says. Okay. And now those witnesses have come forward 25 years ago, and and as far as I know, only one of them has been questioned. All right. And then the other question, is there anybody in the, you know, in the political picture in that county, the Saline County? Yeah. Uh, that is, you know, that perhaps would be, if they were able to get into office as a district attorney or or in the House in Arkansas, to try to finally at least get an investigation or a, a grand jury or something to look at this and try to get some justice for this family, or these two families. Well, here's, here's what Linda Ives and I both think, is that... Uh, there's this good old boy system in Saline County continues to this day. It just seems like anybody that is a prosecutor then gets a step up, becomes a judge, and then the, so a new prosecutor gets in there, and then they become a judge at some point when somebody retires from the judgeship. So, and all of these people know one another. I mean. Saline County is not a large county of the, I don't know what the population of it is, but all of these prosecutors and deputy prosecutors that are in there now will know Dan Harmon and will know Kirk Lane because Kirk Lane was the chief of police in the city of Benton, which is the county seat for Saline County. And uh, he, he's been in, he's been in and out of Saline County as a resident for more than 30 years. So, um, yeah, there's there's just not any any way that a true uh, investigation can be conducted by anybody in Saline County. There's just too many uh, conflicts all the way through. Right. People right. Have, people will have to recuse themselves if they have any integrity at all. Right. Let me kind of give you an idea of what Harmon being disgraced, you would think. Harmon had uh, Harmon was enabled for years. He had a yeah. judge 
local Saline County judge appoint him to be special prosecutor investigating the death of Dan of uh, Kevin Ives and Don Henry. He was appointed yeah. to be that special prosecutor. And he got his friend, Richard Garrett, who was also at the crime scene, he got him to assist him. So anybody that had any information as to what went on that night, they would have to go through Dan Harmon to uh, give a statement. And that's when people started being killed uh, after they went to Dan Harmon and and, uh, Richard Garrett. Some of the witnesses later ended up dead. Right. So, you know, that's it's a it was a whole rotten system and that counting still is. Yeah. That's what's so troubling. Yes, it is. And that that's why I've asked and Linda asked and I talked to the Lieutenant Silk with the Saline County Sheriff's Office and uh I tried to convince him that there was a and so did Linda, there was a conflict of interest because his sheriff was uh, you know the nephew of Don, Dan Harmon and the best mm-hmm. friend with Kurt Lane, and he didn't right. see a, a conflict. <laughs> so, right. you know, I, the the time to really to, would be would have been for the governor's office to step in, but obviously that wasn't going to happen. Well, we uh, we're we're looking at making uh, making some contacts and. Uh, in the political realm and seeing if we can get the investigation uh, assigned to the state police or, or the FBI, somebody other than the Saline County Sheriff's Office. Right. We'll see if that happens or not. Are, are those railroad tracks federal? You know, that's a good question. I was told that the other day that that was, that was a federal, and, and you know, Billy Jack says he was called and made the trip to Arkansas from Detroit, Michigan, and that's crossing right. uh, state lines. Yeah. Well, there's some there's some issues that could be explored as to whether the uh, FBI had some some uh, reason to get involved in the investigation. Right. That that would have, if it's federal, they it would have given them jurisdiction. Yes. At least with could, one. You know. Because he was probably you know still. Alive when his body was put on the tracks No No neither one of them were alive When their bodies were put on the tracks One was dead One was dead when they were pulled out of the back of the car And then after After uh, Billy Jack talked to Governor Clinton On the phone he said leave no witnesses And, And Billy Jack said I said it loud enough that Kirk Lane Heard that and at that point He took the boy's uh, 22 rifle that they were carrying and smashed Kevin uh, Ives' okay. skull with the okay. butt of the rifle. And only after they both were dead were they placed on the tracks. Okay. But the the area from the tracks for a certain distance may also be federal. It's something to look yes. into. You know. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's a good um, point. And that's why and, we're going uh, to the FBI at some point to see if they will take take over the investigation. It's uh, there's a lot of cross uh, crossing state lines by Billy Jack to come to Arkansas at the uh, right, request right. of Bill Clinton, and uh, 
So, you know, there's some some issues that could allow them to get involved. Right. And, uh, I mean, just the, the conspiracy aspects. Well, are, let me also You know, because that's all... Let me it also just goes say so this. far and so uh, wide. Right. Linda Ives is, is, and I have visited about the possibility of her filing a civil suit of, uh, you know, violating the boys' civil rights and uh, causing the death of the boys against those who were, who were involved. So, this, you know, there's some options that uh, she has in front of her that she has to make decisions about. And we'll see where those go. Right, right. Wrong, a wrong um, death lawsuit is it possible? The uh, yeah, it, it's that's going to be hard because of the statute of limitations. Well, we understand the statute doesn't run until you find out for sure who was involved and what happened, and that statute right. begins then instead of. 30 years ago. So it's been right. less than, it's been just uh, less than a year since uh, Belly Jack has come forward with the, with the entire story. Right. But so ho- hopefully that'll get. Didn't the witnesses you know, name Kurt, uh, Lane and Campbell 25 years ago? Yes, they were named 25 years okay. ago. But no, no follow up was You're, done. And Harmon was named 25 years ago. But there wasn't okay. any solid proof or any investigation until Billy Jack came came forward. Okay. All right, Brad. What are you What are you thinking about? Well, here's what I wanted to ask. I, I, I with so much information out there, and and I'm sitting in here in a room with some friends, uh, and we're actually going. I'm going to introduce one of them who's listening to this interview we're going to i'm going to introduce him to the mina connection documentary after this but uh i wanted to ask uh mr rounds of all one real quick question and a reminder that if we do continue this interview a little bit longer than the allotted two hours that you will not hear us live but this will be recorded and also to let everyone know that as soon as this is done i download the audio we'll put a show graphic up and then i upload it to the behind the curtain YouTube channel so that you can listen to it that way as well. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, Mr. Rounds of all was, uh, Billy Jack Haynes, uh, involvement in all of this now for 30 years or 28, 29 years, um, give or take we, his name or his presence, has it ever surfaced in any where at all uh through anyone um or was it just that closely of uh guarded well no it's his his presence that night was never revealed by anyone because he flew in that night and was uh taken to the governor's mansion by uh Sheriff Jim Steed of Saline County Sheriff and then he was taken to the drop site by the sheriff and the only people that saw him there were those named by him as being at the scene and they had none of them have come forward and said 
you know, they they would implicate themselves if they said he was there. And then the right. next morning, he just before daybreak, he said he got in the vehicle with Jim Steed, was taken to the uh, governor's mansion, where he gave the governor the uh, videos, one of the videos. He kept the other one and uh, kept his camera, and he picked up his suitcase, which he had left there the evening before, and he was taken by Jim Steed to the airport where he stayed for three or four hours until the first flight, uh, he could get on the first flight back to where he was living at the time. And he said once he got back to uh, his home, he opened the suitcase, and there was $50,000 in the suitcase that he'd been promised uh, for, for getting involved in the uh, in being at the muscle. And uh, he said he uh, took that $50,000 as well as the tape and put them in a place that uh, he would know where they were. Right, right. And, uh, I, well, I, I may address that off the air, just in the privacy of, the, of us two, as far as the tape is concerned, unless you feel comfortable saying anything about the existence of it today or any impact. You know, I don't want to draw any kind of whatever, and that's up to you. So if you want to comment on that any further, I can understand if you do or don't. Well, I'd rather not comment on it right now. I understand that absolutely, sir. Um, But, I mean, just, you know, uh, if you'll pod Lisa up real quick, uh, just the, the fact that, you know the fifty thousand dollars, and I mean, just going through this interview so far, absolutely is just mind blowing to me, Lisa. That uh, you know, yeah. this is this is almost something like one of my Grisham books, and it was turned into a movie, like The Pelican Brief. You know, this is very interesting stuff, and you 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 watch something like that, and you go, well, yeah. But this happens. It happens. We know it happens. I think it's closer to the firm, but it proves truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely it is, Lisa. It is uh, unbelievable what can happen in this United States. And, Lisa, I would invite you and and, uh, Brad to go on YouTube and and just put in CIA connection to cocaine and and just look at what's gone on over the last 30 years. And uh, this has not been a secret. And just like the the murder of these two boys has not been a secret. It's been a rumor for years, but the rumors, uh, uh, you know, preceded the Billy Jack coming forward who gave those rumors uh, some some teeth. And it's uh, just uh, unbelievable what Linda Ives has had to go through. That woman is a trooper for being able to stay focused and not to let this thing just go away. She has, uh, and, and they're still trying to do it to her now. The Saline County Sheriff's Office is still trying to say there is no conflict between, uh, you know, what they're trying to do, they, them doing the investigation. And I break right, the difference. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's the same kind of thing that Dan Harmon did to her years ago. Inject yeah, themselves 
into the investigation so they will know everything that's going on. Right. And that is part of the problem. The right thing to do when Campbell and Lane were named was for the whole department office to say, hey, let's bring somebody outside in. But I'm from Louisiana, and we have some small parishes, and it's incredibly incestuous. Right. Uh, You know, everybody knows everybody. Um, That's the way Saline County is. Yeah, everybody's named Boudreaux or Bro or... Well, in, in and they're uh, all, you know, County, they're it's, all... it's Billy Bob or, uh, you mm-hmm. know, different names like that. But, matter of fact, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's from that area. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and they, but they just don't, you know, won't do the right thing. Even no, to avoid the right. appearance of impropriety. That's what Absolutely. makes it worse. I, I have talked, that, uh, Linda. I've talked, or at least uh, I've talked with a uh, guy who was the sheriff of another county in Arkansas, and I told him about what was going on. And she, he said, if I were the sheriff in that county, I'd be glad to give it to somebody else because the sheriff has no no win in this thing. If they, if you know. So there, there's no way to win. It's all loss, you know, lose either way it goes with him. Correct. So why would he want to stay, keep it? I, I think, and you probably have seen this at Little Rock PD, people in power, sometimes they react and dig in and get defensive, and that keeps them right. from seeing the benefit to letting somebody handle it and vindicate their officer or their agency. Right. And, and that, um, that would be the wise thing to do, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Right, right. Now, it would be nice if you could get some kind of uh, investigation and if, pray to God, the the physical evidence exists to do DNA testing on it. And Absolutely. see if you can find something to corroborate Billy Jack Haynes. I mean, find Lane or Campbell's DNA or um, they're the ones that had contact with the boys. Or even Billy Jack's DNA to show that he was there, you know. Anything well, I, uh, I think uh, he, of that he would have had would for, for him to have left ahead. DNA, he would have had to have some contact with them or with their clothing. Right. Um, But the guys that put hands on him, you know, may have left some DNA somewhere. Right. Well, I I have very little faith uh, since the sheriff at that time was involved. I think that any evidence that was gathered has been uh, gone through and anything that they think might have come back to them has been gotten rid of. I hope not, but I, I suspect that's been hap- that's happened. And, uh, you know, but there well, should be, if, if they kept the clothes and, and everything, there should be DNA still on it. Well, I have a, have a question that's on... To... Oh, 
Sorry. Oh, it's, it's okay, Liz. I'm sorry. And I was just going to say I had a, a question from a gentleman that's um, – he's saying he's still trying to figure out who was in the white van that picked up the drugs and the money. And from all accounts that I've heard, and, and Mr. Roundsval can validate or counterdict the statement that I make, but uh, from what I've heard from the interview with Doc Washburn was that um, the players involved in the white van – had uh, were not known by Billy Jack Haynes at least. Now, obviously, maybe Kirk Lane or um, Steed or whoever McCaskill, whoever was there, might know who was who they were. But as far as Billy Jack Haynes was concerned, he had no idea who was in that white van. Correct? He did not get a good enough look at those people to identify any of them. The driver never got out of the van. The guy that got out of the van uh, was so far away from being in the dark from Billy Jack that he couldn't identify the one to retrieve the uh, parachutes and the drugs and, the, you know, the duffel bags that were thrown out of the plane. Right. Okay. That's That was one of the questions that was asked. And, and obviously we're, we are, uh, this is an archive section of the show, so, uh, Anybody listening uh, at this point will have to be on the link that uh, provided in the the YouTube video that I will throw up as well. But, you know, it just it's crazy to think what really took place out there and the statements that Billy Jack's made to you and and that you have and and all of that. uh, You know, um, it's just crazy to think about what occurred that night out there on those tracks. Now, I have a. Are those tracks and everything still there, or have they been – are they no, obsolete now? No, they're still there. Billy Jack – I took Billy Jack to the to the site. You know, he was uh, – he went there at night, uh, and just Jim uh, – the Sheriff Steed knew where the drop zone was. But I took him out there, and he described to me, and, and on video showed me where everybody was and uh, gave me uh, an uh, explanation of who was where and what was going on and and that kind of thing. But uh, as we, and I went out there with Channel 7 as well and uh, showed them where Billy Jack had uh, described and what was going on there. And as we were there, a train went by. And you talk about an eerie feeling. It was really eerie. That happened both when Billy Jack was was explaining things to me, and then when Channel Seven was there, a train went by and just rumbled, rumbled past uh, where we were standing down on the ground where the murders occurred, or where one boy's murder occurred. Right, and and I'm and uh, Mr. Roundsball, if you don't mind, at some point I'd like to to contact you. Uh, off the air and talk with you for a few minutes uh, later on, not this evening, obviously, but later on um, about a few things, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Just give me a call anytime. So, so Lisa, you just, you heard uh, Mr. Rounds of all talking about being on the grounds and the train coming through and, and the, you know, the surreal moment that was, was captured there um, yeah, you know, right. to whew, 
it, it's mind blowing. And and you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the documents and the documentaries that he's talking about. Obviously, uh, Mara Levitt, I believe I don't want to butcher that name, wrote a book called Boys on the Tracks. Um, she's also written some several things about different crimes in, in the state as well. You could check that out. Uh, definitely go uh, CIA and their connection to cocaine and uh, and that. I'm going to definitely check that out as well and um, see what I can dig up on some of that as well for a future possible show. But uh, Mr. Roundsball, I'm going to go ahead and tell you thank you for coming on the air and I appreciate your time. Uh, it's I will really wish and that Billy Jack could could have joined us, and I, I I hope that he is safe and doing well. Um, you know if uh, you know if the next time that you speak with him, if you could tell him that we appreciate the consideration for even thinking about doing the show and and what he's done so far has been a godsend to the Ives family and the Henry family and all those affected. And like Linda Ives was saying. It's not just her son and Don Henry. There's been a lot of young men and and other folks that have met an early demise because of what they knew and trying to speak out for the truth. So, Lisa, I'm going to go ahead and let you kind of wrap things up with Mr. Rounds of All if you have anything further. And uh, But I will say right now, again, uh, Mr. Rounds of All, I do appreciate you so much uh, for taking the time to come on. Again, if you could reiterate to Miss Miss Ives that we truly appreciate her time. I'm I'm sure that she's talked about this more times than she would ever like to, and for her to grant us another opportunity to speak with her was an absolute, uh, you know, a wonderful thing. And and I hope that we can try to push forward and find some justice in all of this. And we would welcome you guys back at any point in time. Uh, that there's anything you guys would want to put out there. Like I told you on the phone, you know, where there's no restrictions or guidelines. Um, I just called out a sitting governor and two former presidents. So it is what it is to me. There you go. Thank you so much, Brad. So Lisa, you want to. Yeah. I was, I was about to ask, um, have you obtained a copy of the investigative file? From the original investigation? I have not. And they okay. say it's, a, it's an ongoing investigation, you know, that they, they can't release that. Okay. I'll, what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to reach out and see if I can find an attorney in Arkansas, not from Saline County. Absolutely Who can not, represent please. you guys pro bono try to do some writs of mandamus to force Saline okay. County to turn over the file under Arkansas FOIA because it's been 30 plus years, 31 years almost, and they haven't done diddly squat. Um, so it's not really it's not really an ongoing investigation. The last lead was probably 20 years ago. Um and then even maybe writ of mandamus to get them to recuse and let another department come in from outside Saline County. And Thank that's something that may even be able to go to the Arkansas State Supreme Court rather than 
within Saline County. It's because you just file it against everybody in Saline County. Thank you for doing that, Lisa. We and appreciate I, I'm going to reach out tomorrow, and uh, uh, I work for you know our, our attorneys in New Orleans, but we know attorneys all over the country. And well, I, we, a, we certainly like you doing that. We would appreciate it. You know, it's a thought to at least try to get light a fire under somebody's ass to get a proper investigation. Um, right. Because there has never been one. There's no doubt about that. I don't know about drugs and drug money and CIA and cartel and Clinton and Hillary and Sox and all that, but there has never been a proper investigation. And probably because the DA, Richard Garrett, was involved. You know. So um, I'll see what I can do, and I will call you um, and let you know a na- you know, when I have a name that you can call. Good. Thank you, Lisa. So uh and I, I hope it I hope it does some it does some good. It certainly can't hurt. No, hopefully yeah. not. Absolutely. So. Well Lisa, and, let's uh, go ahead and um again uh, Mr. Rounds of all, again, appreciate you so much. I know that it's you're operating on the same time zone that we all are, so I know that it's getting late, and, and I'm sure you uh, stay busy. Um, so I don't want to keep you any further than um, we have to. Or, uh, but again, I appreciate your uh, your time and and everything that. Uh, you've involved in this last week and a half getting all this together and, and coming on the show. So again, I appreciate it uh, very much, sir. Thank you, Brad and Lisa. Appreciate you guys. I'm going to get off here. Okay. Yes, thank sir. you so much. And I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a call. Okay. Please do. All Bye-bye. right. Thank Ladies you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was investigator Keith rounds of all, um, Lisa, the, he is uh, currently working pro bono for Linda Ives uh, on behalf of the investigation into the murder of Kevin Ives and Don Henry uh, in Alexander, Arkansas, all the way back to August 23rd of 1987. Obviously, a few short three, four months away from, or so away from uh, five months, I, you know, from the 31st anniversary of this and um uh-huh. you know Lisa you obviously and people setting this up uh for people to to kind of figure out how this all came together uh Lisa was actually kind of overheading or running or involved in a West Memphis 3 Truth organization for the guilty uh, uh verdicts of the West Memphis 3 and so we had reached out to her, and things have kind of worked together, and now she's involved in her own clear and convincing show tomorrow night. So I would really suggest anybody listen to that, but as well as behind the curtain here, uh, a very uh, good contributor and co-host of this show as well. And um, the a dream come true for me 
and I hate the circumstances for which it came together, but uh, right. the this whole Mina connection has been something that I have been, uh, you know, me, Lisa, I'm a conspiracy nut, and and mm-hmm. um, my good friend of mine, years and years and years ago, it actually got started over the West Memphis Three, he was telling me about this Mina connection, and I watched it a long time, 10 years ago, and it's been like on my mind this entire time. And I watched American Made with Tom Cruise, and it kind of uh-huh. sparked another interest in me. And I reached out to Miss Ives. I didn't think it was possible. Honestly, I thought she's probably tired of talking about it, but uh, so glad that she made the decision to come on and Keith came on. And I really wish we could have heard from Billy Jack Haynes again. I hope he's doing okay. I really do. Yeah. Because, uh, because he is the key right now to all of this. And, um, you know, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, there were things that Keith couldn't talk about the video and stuff like that. So hopefully right. that's in a, a location that a couple of people know about. And, um, maybe one day that will come out and these people will be brought to justice and which they right. deserve to be. There was a comment on Facebook, uh, there was a little bit of legalities brought up about the uh, statute of limitations. Uh, the statute of limitations does not run out on murder, but now the wrongful death suit may have a statute of limitation on it. I don't know All that right. particular. The, you, you would know that. The, the civil lawsuit, a, a civil lawsuit for statute of limitations, I mean, a civil lawsuit for wrongful death would have whatever Arkansas statute of limitations is. The problem that I see, and I hate to be uh, sound negative, but the people who were named 25 years ago, whether there was an investigation of them or not, they were named and you knew who they were, and that's when the suit should have been filed. Right. You don't have to have evidence. Of your for your case to file a civil lawsuit, right? And you, you know, given the knowledge. circumstances, given the circumstances of the case, obviously no one would have thought that we would be here today uh, dealing no. with what we're no. what we're dealing with. Uh, real quick, Lisa, want to give although, a programming I'll... programming note real fast. Uh, next week we will start our bi-monthly show again. Uh, we're going to have Adrian Scow from the River Valley Paranormal Society, a researchers group out of uh, Arkansas. Uh, they're going to be talking about some of their hunts and researching on the paranormal. So we're going to sh- we're going to shift it up and get back into the paranormal a little bit. Uh, the 26th of this month, we're going to be talking to Aline Pistanio out of New Orleans, about she's a, a, a renowned author of, of several books, uh, does her own podcast as well on YouTube, but uh, it's going to be the dangers of paranormal um, researching and, and things of that nature. So going to kind of shift it up a little bit uh, with that. Um, and then we're going to have a couple of psychics on and some mediums on in future shows. We haven't fully scheduled them. We're going to have Linda Howe from Haunted Little Rock going to be on the show at some point. Also going to have uh, a gentleman from North Carolina who runs Haunted Tours of North Carolina on um, on the show. So we've got a lot of stuff oh, up here from behind the curtain that we're fixing to get into, Lisa. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to take this show 
a special show. Usually we're off tonight uh, in between the two weeks, but really wanted to get this out there and, and put it out there. And, and again, uh, we do apologize that Billy Jack Haynes was not allowed or was not uh, on the show uh, as advertised. Yeah. We were yeah. we were really hoping to hear from him, but I think that we got a really good understanding uh, from Keith and Linda as to what was going on, and I think that we um, I don't think we beat around the bush any. I think we went straight at the the heart of the matter, and uh, so I'm happy to have done this. And if it wasn't what anybody was expecting, I do apologize for that. Uh, we we efforted all of our efforts to, to get this happening, but it just wasn't able to work with them. But again, thanks everyone right. for tuning in. We appreciate it. This will be available on YouTube as well as this link will be valid. I believe, is that all right, Michael? This is valid immediately after the show. You can go back and listen to it. So uh, again, I appreciate uh, everyone for tuning in and listening again tonight to behind the curtain. It's always a pleasure to do this show. Uh, and we look forward to bringing more shows and content uh, to this uh, station and this show as well. Uh, Lisa, do you have any parting words for us before we uh, – how about this? Go ahead and plug your show for tomorrow night, Lisa, what we're going to talk about real quick with Michael Carnahan. All right. Tomorrow night we're going to be talking about the case against Liddell Lee. Uh, he was executed by the state of Arkansas in – April of 2017 for the murder of Deborah Reese, which occurred in 1993 in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And uh, we're going to be looking at you kind of the rest of the story. You hear a lot about the conflicts of interest with the attorneys and the problems with his trials. And uh, we're going to kind of look beyond those things at the rest of the story, why the courts did not reverse his conviction during any of the many reviews that he had. Absolutely. And again, the GoFundMe page, uh, go to GoFundMe.com, type in Kevin Ives and Don Henry murders. You can make a donation. Anything is welcome and everything is appreciated uh, and helps for Keith rounds of all and, the investigation into the murders and let's find some peace and um, justice for Linda Ives and her family. For Lisa O'Brien, I am Brad Hicks. You have been listening to another wonderful episode of Behind the Curtain. We will see you guys next week here on Talk Radio 49 and Behind the Curtain. Good night, everybody. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherent. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 